Time to get up. Stop sleeping in, lazy bones. What? What time is it? It's nine o'clock. Nine o'clock? I'm late to the intro. Why did my cue music not come in? Cue music? Yes, that music that plays me in and lets me know when I need to start talking. Oh, you mean that organ music that's always interrupted by something? That music? Yes, that music. Why did it not play? Romy, do you know why? Hmm, not a clue, cousin. Maybe you tripped over a plug or something. I did not trip over a plug. Here's the problem. The boombox is unplugged. It is never unplugged. Oh, now I remember. I unplugged it. What? Are you trying to sabotage me? Relax, Yuli. I only unplugged that plug so I could plug in my abdominal vibrator. I have to keep my six-pack intact. I don't even want to know what that looks like. Romeo, why didn't you plug the boombox back in? I meant to, cuz, but I guess I got distracted. I'm a busy guy. We can't all be sleeping in like you. What? I wasn't... I just told you what... Ugh. I don't have time to go back and forth with you. I need to do this week's intro. Sounds good. I need to go work out anyway. You go do that. Vibrate your abs or do something else unholy. Greetings, boys and ghouls. I am Count Julie. Welcome into week four of the Radcast Five Weeks of Fright. This week- Hey, Yuli. Duh! What is it, Romeo? I almost forgot to tell you. Since next week is the last week of the Jamboree, we can invite a guest on the last day. That is great, Romeo. Now, if you'd please excuse me. This week... No, Yuli. Telling you because I'm inviting you. Thank you, Romeo. I am flattered, but I don't think I will be attending. Come on, Yuli, please. It's the least I can do. Last week, you pointed out to me that I haven't been the best guest in your castle. You're right. So I want to make amends by not only inviting you to the Cool Hunks Jamboree, but also making you the guest of honor. Well, Romeo, I appreciate you saying all of that. That was very big of you to realize your mistake and try to rectify it. Thank you. Guest of honor, you say? Oh, yeah. The GOH, as me and the other hunks are referring to it as, gets front-of-the-line access to all the food, drinks, games, and is honored on stage during the closing ceremony. I've arranged everything personally. That all sounds very enticing. You know, I've never been at the front of the line before. For anything. Because of my name and my inability to get anywhere at the standard rate of speed. Right. You know what, Romeo? Count me in! Alright. I knew you wouldn't be a house cat forever. I'll go let the guys know. Excellent! This month wasn't working out well at all. But I must admit, Romeo, your kind gesture has really lifted my spirits. Anytime, cuz. Oh, speaking of lifting, maybe you'd want to work out a bit before your big appearance. Um, oh, uh, okay, uh, I guess you're right. Why, Romeo? I'm a guest, not a participant. Right, but you want to look like you belong there, right? Plus, you've been inside and docile for so long, you're not exactly the imposing figure you once were. I think you're confusing me with someone else. All I'm saying is, it wouldn't hurt to put on a little bit of muscle before your big outing. Well, I guess you're right. Okay, what should I do? Well, we'll just work on a full body tone. 
You see that giant resistance band down the hallway? Oh, you mean the one that looks like a slingshot? Yeah, except it's a full-body resistance band. I'm pretty sure that's a giant slingshot. Trust me, Yuli. It's for full-body workouts. It's very safe. Okay, if you say so. So what do I do? Well, go get in. Okay. Here! Further. Alright, now get in the loop, make sure your back is straight up against the end of the resistance band, and then start walking backwards. Further, further, almost there. Okay, perfect. Now, bend your knees. You're going to be working your core to keep that band taut. So take your hands off and lock your knees. That doesn't sound like it is correct or safe. Trust me, Yuli. This is a beginner strength training exercise. Now, lock your knees and release. Well, are you okay? Uh, oh, Yuli, what a klutz. Oh, he was in the middle of something. Uh, yes, the intro for his friend's show. Suppose I could do it. Yuli hmm. uh, has something here. It's week four of the Radcast Five Weeks of Fright. This week, Jeff Wright joins the Five Timers Club. Hey, mazel tov, Jeff. As he joins the boys to talk about the treat of Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio from WCW Halloween Havoc 1997 and the trick of the Ultimate Warrior vs. Hulk Hogan disaster from Halloween Havoc 1998. Wait, wrestling? These guys 12? Beginning to question the kind of people Yuli associates himself with. Anyway, stay tuned, boys and ghouls, because the Radcast will be right back. Steiner promos he never really thought through. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if at one point he's like, nah, and then thought, oops. <laughs> it's just like that. No, he probably thought, that's some good shit, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, ooh, that was good. Ooh, I'm on fire tonight. <laughs> ooh, keep talking, Scotty, baby. So how many times did you watch Hogan and Warrior? Once? <laughs> that's yeah. all I needed. It's, it's actually a, like five minutes in. I was like, this sucks. I don't want to watch this anymore. We can talk more about it. It's a slog to get through. Yep. It's it's not fun. Nope. Well, no, I take that back. It is fun, yeah. but in the wrong ways. It's yeah. not, not the same fun that Eddie versus Ray was. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, what a snooze fest. Well, we can hear your opinion on that here in just a moment. Welcome back into the Radcast, everybody. I'm Steven. And I'm Matt. And this is week four of the Five Weeks of Fright. Um, we're, uh, we're getting to the end here of the Five Weeks of Fright. <laughs> yeah, until next year. But we've had fun thus far. <laughs> exactly. We've, we've, Shh, quiet down. We've had fun thus far, and the fun <laughs> is going to continue with this episode. Um, there's a few special reasons. Yeah, it's week four. Um, the first special reason is we're actually talking pro wrestling today. Um, first time which, since episode like yeah. three, four. Our guest is very excited. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, our first, our 
first and only foray to talking pro wrestling minus in the kind of the nineties retrospect episodes. Yeah. We, we talk, we have a little bit of wrestling in there and then every now and then we'll drop a, a wrestling anecdote or Just reference. another dimension to the boys of the Radcast. Yeah, exactly. We're big. big, for those of you who are, who, this is a, for your first time listening, Matt and I have been big pro wrestling fans since we were 13. Um, and one of the people who has always kept it, kept us in wrestling the, the all, all of these years, whether we've kind of shied away from it a little bit or have, you know, we've always kept a finger on the pulse um, because it's always captured our imagination and we've always had conversations about it with our guests today. Reason number two, why this is so special, because Jeff Wright is back and Jeff Wright, welcome to the Radcast Five-Timers, Five-timers Club. Club. Just like Booker T, baby. Exactly. Yeah, five-time, five-time Radcast guest. Yes, Booker T, who was a five-time WCW World Heavyweight Champion, and uh, WCW is the subject of today's Radcast. World Championship Wrestling, but very... Also, fun. Booker T has liked a tweet from Matt in the past. Yeah, yes, exactly. exactly. We were watching old, like... Tech Houston Championship Wrestling. It was like or something. No, it was like USWA. Yeah, or on ESPN, I think like 2014. I tweeted about it, and Booker T, Booker Huffman himself yeah. liked it. Exactly. It's a it's a very focused World Championship Wrestling episode today. We're talking one of the greatest matches in WCW history, maybe the greatest. I don't know. I haven't watched enough WCW to know. Um, which took place in 1997, Halloween Havoc, and then we're gonna talk at the the undisputed worst match in WCW mm-hmm. history, one of the worst matches in pro wrestling history uh, that happened a year later, Halloween Havoc, 1998. You looked like you were about to say something. I was, I was just going to say pro wrestling is is, yeah. so, is special with the three of us mm-hmm. because it essentially is what brought us all together as friends Yeah, and has sort of been mm-hmm. that that interweaving thing yeah. through our friendship. And it's been like, what, 15 years now that we've yeah. been friends? Mm-hmm. Yep. 15 years. Uh, Jeff, last week your wife Katie was on in a very phenomenal yes. appearance. Who cares about Katie? I heard you guys. I heard you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you were in that my way. You heard all that? Oh, you did? I don't know. Okay, well, <laughs> I don't fair know. enough. Um, but so today we're talking from Halloween Havoc 1997. An absolutely explosive match in all mm. the right ways. Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio. It was Cruiserweight Championship versus Mask match. Rey Mysterio had the mask. Eddie Guerrero had the Cruiserweight Championship. If I may interject. And, yeah. Um, speaking of masks, Halloween, and because it's Halloween Havoc-themed mm-hmm. uh, um, pay-per-views, mm-hmm. or Halloween Havoc-themed episode, the this is sort of, I think we probably said it at the top, this is a trick a trick. Not a trick or treat episode, but a trick and treat episode. Yeah. So we've got the treat match and we got the trick match. Yeah, exactly. Um, tricked a lot of people, especially with the build and what yeah. it was supposed to be, what people thought it would be, yep. but it's all smoke and mirrors and it's just a pile of shit. Yep. Um, and that being Ultimate Warrior versus Hulk Hogan uh, 2, I guess you, could, you, could, you should yep. say, at Halloween Havoc 1998, a, a cluster F of a match. And... Uh, First, Halloween Havoc is a pay-per-view, even when I wasn't really into wrestling back in, like, second grade. It's such grade. a cool concept. It is. It's it a is. really cool concept. The and set pieces are amazing, mm-hmm. super Halloween-y. Side note, too, for any Radcast listeners that are current wrestling fans, mm-hmm. uh, in WWE NXT, they're actually bringing Halloween Havoc uh, yeah, back. I yep. saw that. Heard about that. Th- that's going to be the theme for their next big event, which I'm super looking forward that's to cool. because I think NXT is taking all the positive things from WCW mm-hmm. and saying, hey, let's use this because people yeah. liked it. Exactly. War, I'm war super games. glad to see Halloween Havoc is one of those things. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They they had a hu- huge success. War Games was awesome last year. Uh, they've been doing Clash of Champions. Well, Clash of Champions has made its way in WWE. Um, but as a whole, the company in the spots that we're talking about today um, had some huge success, um, you know, at the surface. But during it all, it was just a huge mess Mm -hmm. as far as a a company Mm -hmm. goes because WCW um, was owned by Ted Turner, a part like 
who the huge television mogul, yeah, um, owner of the Atlanta Braves, yeah, it, and he was a big wrestling fan. But the thing was, nobody else in that company was, yeah. So it was a a on the back burner type thing. Nobody cared, so they didn't know who to run it. People who ran it were out for their own interests. There's a myriad of references you can look up if you're interested to see why it failed. Um, this isn't the history of WCW. Exactly, no. Yeah. Um, we are going to talk about, again, one of the brighter moments of World Championship mm-hmm. Wrestling in this time, and one of the stinkiest moments. But Halloween ha- <laughs> Havoc itself, as an aesthetic, we love. Oh, yeah. Because if, if you just look at, if you Google image search Halloween Havoc, just the set, 1996, it was cool. 97, or sorry, 97 was cool. 98 was probably the one I liked the most because it's this big inflatable ghoul gargoyle with a pumpkin. It says Snickers, Halloween Havoc. And it just reminds me of like TNT, which what WCW Nitro broadcasted from. It reminds me of TNT in the 90s with like Joe Bob Briggs. Yeah. So like it reminds me of that. Yep. Um, But yeah, so the aesthetic alone is cool as far as late 90s Halloween Havoc. But uh, I think I even heard like Eric Bischoff, who was the head of everything pretty much in the 90s, say that they tried to make that their like WrestleMania, not Starcade, but yeah. they tried to make Halloween Havoc kind of like interesting the WrestleMania. Huh. Well, it seems, to, it seems like such a, a narrowed niche thing, right? Too much to be like the WrestleMania, like it works as its own like October pay per view. Uh-huh. It's like the focus is on one thing, and that's Halloween themed stuff, but to make that like the all-encompassing, like, mm-hmm. WrestleMania type. I don't know yeah. how that would have worked. Halloween's the WrestleMania of holidays, guys. I mean, I agree. It's true. I agree. That's Christmas true. is the Royal Rumble. Mm-hmm. Christmas is the backlash. That, yeah. Cr- Thanksgiving is the Survivor Series. Is the SummerSlam. Yeah. There you go. Summerfest, as yeah. Jeremy Piven Survivor put it. Series would almost be, would be too accurate because yeah. Survivor Series take place in November. Yeah, uh, at least that it was the Thanksgiving pay per view. Whatever, we're, yeah. not, we're not talking about that. I'm sorry, uh, Jeff. I'll give you the choice. Do you want to start with Hogan, Warrior, or Eddie and Ray? Because hmm. <laughs> let's let's get the treat out of the way. Okay, Ooh, so let's get want... the the good right. stuff out so, of the way. Yeah, like I said, so Halloween Havoc, 1997, about 25 minutes into the show. We get a mask versus cruiserweight title match. And Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio, for those of you listening, might already be wrestling fans. You know what kind of chemistry these guys have in the ring. Front long time, like real life friends mm-hmm. used to work in Mexico together. Yeah. Like both come from wrestling histories, mm-hmm. the Guerrero family and you know, Rey Mysterio's uncle was the was the first Rey Mysterio. Mm-hmm. Um, so both long histories, both deeply entrenched in luchador, and uh, you know, in the luchador scene in, mm-hmm. in Mexico, and both good friends even until Eddie's you know death. They've always had good chemistry mm-hmm. with each other. Oh yeah, and plus the cruiserweights around this time from '96 on till the end of WCW were probably the highlight. They were the best of, part of yeah. WCW. Mm-hmm. Well, they were. I, I mean, the best part is NWO. One of the best parts is NWO. The most in their popular heyday, part, but the most but the most fun to watch mm-hmm. was were the cruiserweights. Yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. a little bit of history and lucha libre culture. Uh, one of the a it, to, to to put it in terms of like like more mainstream, a a mask match would would main event like a WrestleMania yeah. because like the, in lucha culture in lucha yeah. culture. Um, cause Lucha Libre, it's a culture in Mexico. Yeah. Um, so it's tradition. It's yeah, stories. Their, yeah. their masks are their identity. Like, exactly. That's, that's who they are. They wear mo- most of the most popular luchadors would wear their masks in public. And that's yeah. just like how people saw them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and also to put in perspective, like Ramses, exactly. Ramses is the best. Ramses is the best. Ramses is number one. <laughs> He's a real douche. <laughs> He's a real douche. We're gonna talk about Nacho Libre one of these days. It's so silly, but I love oh, it. Um, but uh, 
But just to kind of give perspective, there's a small, small number of Lucha, uh, Lucha Libres who have lost their match in a, like, loser le- loses their match, ma- loser loses their mask match. Yes. A lot of L's and M's. Um, there's very few wrestlers who have lost their masks and actually been successful um, at least still in lucha culture, it's like it's almost like you're ostracized after that yeah. happens because it's such like it looms so heavy in Mexican yeah. culture. Yeah. Well, and um, so I just want to highlight Mike Tenay's commentary. Yeah. So the com- started, the commentators yeah. are in this match are Mike Tenay, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Tony Schiavone, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. So four commentators seems like a lot, but I think they all do a good job of focusing in on the match. Whereas at that time in WCW, mm-hmm. they they're, they any undercard match would just be overshadowed by the commentary about like oh later tonight here's the what the NWO's yeah. doing or here's what Hogan's doing you know they're very they were very lucky to have four really amazing commentators yeah. together for that yeah. exactly because Shivani is sort of like the head guy for right. WCW Mike Tenay was just he's he, an encyclopedia in, in terms this in terms of driving the story of this match and the putting over these two guys dusty Rhodes and bobby heenan really did a good job putting over like the heel eddie guerrero and like tony Schiavone putting over ray mysterio but mike Tenay was like the glue for them and the story with mm-hmm. his like he knows all this lucha history and he's like this is why this important this is important and here's eddie guerrero's history he used to wrestle under a mask and yeah. he came under scrutiny for willingly removing his mask and which built him up as a heel because mm-hmm. he was the heel in this match the bad guy if you're not yeah. familiar with the wrestling so jargon wild with a cruiserweight match all of the all four con there's not one commentator who's like trying to derail everybody and talking yeah, about Stinger and NWO because considering the time this was, this was before Starcade ninety seven, this whole last year has been a build towards Sting versus Hulk Hogan yeah. and the NWO rising and being involved with the everything. main event of that show is Piper versus Hogan. Yeah. And is Rowdy Rowdy Piper and Hulk Hogan yeah. in a cage match. Yeah. There's a Hogan promo after this match, yeah. but nobody mentions anything, all which I think four is a nice commentators of are locked in, which yeah. is great. It's especially for a cruiserweight match yeah. and like Bobby Heenan's Bobby Heenan's putting Guerrero over big. He's saying he's one of the greatest he's ever seen. And like every, like it, they he can all, take you to the mat or he can take you to the air. Yeah. You know? Like, cause, and that's true. Eddie Guerrero like was the Jack of all trades. He could mm-hmm. do it mm-hmm. all. And yeah. that's why, mm-hmm. I mean, it, his loss 15 years ago was so devastating. Rough. So rough. Yeah. And like speaking into the match, like you don't, I, I was rewatching it uh, today on my lunch break, and like I think within the first five minutes, like Guerrero changes gears like three or four times. He's doing yeah. luchador flips mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, dives and whatnot. He's trying to shove Rey Mysterio into the steel steps, and then he's like ringing him out with an abdominal stretch in the middle of the mm-hmm, ring. Yeah. Like he was literally doing everything in that match. Mm-hmm, like exactly. right out of the gate, there was this fluidity to where you could instantly see the two's chemistry. Like, Ray, mm-hmm. Ray, right out of the gate, like, Eddie's talking smack because he's such a great heel. He's, like, smug this whole time. Yeah. And then, like, Ray, he tries to, he takes a shot at Ray, but Ray kind of ducks it, and then he, like, he starts going after Eddie and, like, throws him off the ropes. And um, he there's this really, really just beautiful looking arm drag this lucha yeah. arm drag that ray does that mm-hmm. really is one of those things where they had this back and forth cat and mouse like until finally like ray does this like tope like head over heels move over the top rope and he gets stopped well he catches himself he catches yeah. himself on the apron and then eddie pulls him down and then that's kind of when the momentum really starts shifting towards eddie for a little bit Well, and Ed- eddie's such a good bad guy in this match because like Story-wise and character-wise, his focus isn't on retaining his title. He wants to humiliate Rey Mysterio. So you talked about that abdominal stretch. He's trying to tear the mask. Mm -hmm. I was was going to touch on that. Yeah, yeah, that's how much of a bad guy he is. is He wants to embarrass this this man's family and tradition. Mm -hmm. Like, he doesn't care about the belt. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I I looked at it almost as if... uh, Eddie was doing that trying because throughout the throughout several points in the match, he tries to tear open the yeah. mask of Rey Mysterio, and it's such a great heel move because it's like in luchador culture, like if 
if someone's mask is like ripped off or I mean, there have been occasions where masks have accidentally Mm -hmm. either in like real terms come off or in, you know, wrestling terms, they came off quote unquote on accident and wrestlers like cover their faces and like try to not be seen. So like I I looked at it as like Eddie was trying to tear the mask open to effectively like stop the match and force Ray to like cover himself. Yeah. I beat him and I didn't even have to pin him type thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's it's, great is the follow up rights itself. Yeah, yeah. And even there's as a whole, there's no wasted motion in the match. They use all uh-huh. 14 minutes and it's not just kind of um, physical momentum that continues. The momentum of the story continues because mm-hmm. you guys mentioned um, he has him in that abdominal stretch. He has him in a couple of rest holds. Um, at certain points and it's in the rest holds in these compromising positions is when he's trying to tear off the mask. So the physical mm-hmm. action has kind of halted for a second, but the action of the story keeps mm-hmm. going because yeah. the story is Eddie trying to embarrass Ray. So he's trying to pull off the mask. Mm-hmm. He's Eddie Guerrero. Again, he's a, he's a second generation wrestler. Um, and he grew up, he had a wrestling he ring in his rest- backyard. Yeah, He's from his, a wrestling his family. His brothers and his father before him were all wrestlers. His his nephew they they uh, ran yeah. the territory exactly. in El Paso. Like yeah. Eddie has such a mind for the for how to make a story work. He had the forethought to be like, okay, I'm gonna have this type of match with my friend. Like, how can we keep the engagement while there's these moments where we have to take a breather for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I'll start ripping at his mask. It's just it's just so smart, and it's so brilliant of him to do that. Well, and did you mention already that Eddie's offense is, like, short and explosive? Well, yeah, it's that's that's the thing, not just in this match, but with Eddie Guerrero. So I want to point out... He has... I just want to say he's got the, be- the best tilt-a-whirl backbreaker, like, mm-hmm. I've ever mm-hmm. seen. Yeah, and I think... It's always amazing. On... So it's tight and concise and as like crisp. Like, yeah. not contrary, but kind of as a foil to Rey Mysterio, Rey works best as an underdog. Rey yeah. works best as someone who he, because he's so small, who he gets these spurts of momentum, or he gets the, he get, he gets his shots in, but his momentum is quickly derailed throughout the mm-hmm. match until he finally gets like one last swing of momentum, and he just throws his body at people. But the thing with Eddie is like Eddie catches this really well because like you said he's short he his his uh, his his grapples and his strikes are short and explosive and aggressive like his backbreakers and his suplexes and yeah and it's just it's like bret hart yeah like chris benoit yeah um Mm -hmm. um but one of my favorite moments in the match is during one of ray's momentum shifts so yeah i'd say it's probably like Maybe like six minutes into the match, mm-hmm. six or seven minutes into the match. Um, side side note, real yeah, quick. yeah, yeah. This match, this match is only fourteen minutes long, right? Yeah. Like, and they they pack so much into this mm-hmm. match; it's crazy. And they do it masterfully. I, I'm going to have another side note because when you talk about professional wrestling to people, they obviously get this image in their head of it's like it's loud in your face. They just think of like silly storylines that they've seen throughout the year. They, it, it looks ridiculous, but Really, when you're talking about a well-constructed match with two performers who know what the hell they're doing and mm-hmm. have great chemistry like this, this is when you whittle it down to it being an art form. Yeah. Like the story they told in the ring, like in 14 minutes, they told this story that you could easily follow yeah. as like good versus evil, you know, bad guy trying to humiliate the good guy, the good guy wins out in the end. Yeah. You caught all of that in just 14 mm-hmm. minutes. Spoiler alert. Oh, I'm well, sorry, everything, Jeff. Like everything, everything's fast. The power yeah. and technique from Eddie is quick and ferocious, short and explosive. Ray's speed and cunning is fast and execution is tight. He, like Ray Mysterio, has to use cunning maneuvers. He has to use these in, the inventive arm drags and yeah. Huracan Ranas, drop kicks and head scissors. And uh, his best defense is okay, he knocks kind of a, he knocks a guy, you know, loose a little bit. He like he can't just stop and like run because he's a hero. So he uses his high flying ability when he's in trouble, um, and he he dives off the top rope, off the top turnbuckle, onto the outside. He plunges on over people. Like he uses his body as a weapon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I my my favorite moment in this match. And I don't know if you were gonna say this, Stephen, but 
My favorite is when he, uh, I don't know the technical term for it. I've been watching wrestling since I was eight years old. I should know it, but I don't. <laughs> right. um, it's when it's when Ray uh, launches himself over the top rope, basically does a flip over it by, while holding on to the top rope. Yes. And it looks like he's just going to land on Eddie, but then he turns it into a hurricanrana yes. yes. on the outside mm-hmm. and yep. throws Eddie. Like It would have been impactful just if he had landed on yeah. him, yeah. but he... He turns it into even more offense. Exactly. He, he just, it, that wasn't what I was going to say, but that that is a huge highlight I of the match. when I first started watching wrestling, I first started seeing Rey Mysterio, and then going back and watching his like 2002 stuff when he entered the WWE, he always stuck out to me as someone who, he did things I had never seen before. Right, And yeah. I think that's why he's everyone's favorite, like when they're a kid. Yeah. I mean, obviously you got your Hulk Hogan's and at this time like Stone Cold and The Rock, yeah. but I think every little kid likes Rey Mysterio because he's like jumping around and flying around. He's doing things you've never seen he's, before. He's a little and, guy who presents himself in a big way. Exactly. And most of, in fact, most of this sort of run with WCW, he was the underdog the entire mm-hmm. time um, until he, you know, joined the filthy animals and took yeah. his mask off or whatever. The thing but, is, even though he was like, when this match happened with 96, he's probably yeah. like 22, 23. Yeah, 97. Nine, yeah, ni- yeah, sorry, 97. He'd already been in wrestling business for about nine years. Yeah, he did. He started he, when he was 15. He still looks that's like crazy. he was 12 years old. Yeah. That's how small he was. Um, but Pre, Pre-steroids, Rey mm-hmm. Mysterio might be my favorite. But he also adorned himself in these superhero get-ups. Oh, yeah. He any was, WrestleMania, any like big match event. He was in, he w- he was in a, a Phantom, like the Phantom. Yeah, the Phantom. Yeah. He yeah. was in a Phantom outfit. My favorite Billy Zane movie. Yes. My favorite Christy Swanson. The only movie. Billy Zane movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. And he couples he in like he couples his attire with that high flying flash and excitement. Yeah. Um, but my favorite moment in the match, uh, so Jeff said a moment that was is incredible because the margin of error for mm-hmm. what Ray did is so slight. Um, my favorite is Probably about six or seven minutes into the match, one of Ray's momentum shifts um, is Ray is on the like Eddie has Ray on the ground and is attempting to pin him by holding his hands. So their mm-hmm. hands are interlocked, uh, yeah. which in turn pins both of Ray Mysterio's shoulders to the mat. Ray like bridges up. Yeah, yeah, but he he does this about four times and Ray kicks out all four times. On the fifth time, Eddie positions himself in a way to where Ray uses both feet, kind of like with like a monkey flip. Yeah to prop Eddie up horizontally in the air, only like only briefly. Yeah. As Eddie fights us off to get to his feet, he still has Ray's hands. As Eddie stands up, he brings Ray up with him. While their hands are still interlocked, Ray hops on the top rope, balances for a second, then backflips off the rope, catches Eddie standing on the ground, hooks his neck while now positioned behind him, and then reverse drops the both of them, executing one of the smoothest, slickest reverse lucha DDTs I've ever seen. Yeah. It's picture perfect. It's all, and it's all like I know I said it yeah. in like steps. It's all one fluid motion. Yeah. And if you mm-hmm. know anything about lucha libre, that's a pretty common sequence. Mm-hmm. But it's like. That you you had mentioned as a kid, you never saw this stuff before. Yeah. Tony Schiavone at the end of the match was like, you know, both men, like whoever won or lost, both men did amazing because they're showing us stuff we've never seen before. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Tony Schiavone, what he called it was a springboard backflip DDT. Yeah. And I was like, that's the best way to yeah. describe it. And it was yeah. tight mm-hmm. and it was smooth. Yeah. There's another moment to where uh, Ray is in a spot to where kind of a typical counter for someone trying to power bomb like a lucha guy, like a little mm-hmm. guy is they do what's called a hurricane Rana to where they pretty much flip the person yeah. from off their feet onto the ground to where they're on top of them. And Ray does this and he packages Eddie up tight for a pen. Yeah. Eddie kicks out this time, but it's just so tight. Yeah. At this time, speaking of like at this time too, Eddie was doing these like just brutal power bombs. Like they were quick mm-hmm. and explosive and like you could hear, um, you know, the impact on the mat. Mm-hmm. And that was, I don't know, that was towards the end, but yeah. like, it's one of those power bombs. You actually like, Ugh, yeah, that looked like uh, that didn't look too good. Yeah. In so, terms of like, Oh man, that looked like it hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So we can go to the finish because unless Jeff, is there any other kind of little minute things you wanted to point out before we get to kind of what the finish is? No. Yeah, there's it's it's chock full of the good. finish is probably my favorite yeah. part. So Eddie has Ray up in what's what's called a crucifix, 
position, yeah. and he's about to hit a power bomb from the sec. He's on the second rope, but uh, Ray's on the top yeah. rope on the turnbuckle, and Eddie's Ray's about- got his arms spread out behind. Yeah, exa- Eddie. yeah. a crucifix yeah. position is like if you think of their cruci- back to yeah. back. Yeah. Um, and Eddie, the idea is Eddie will flip Ray onto like in front of him and then drop him for a power bomb. Mm-hmm. But he's about to do this and Ray counters it into that hurricane Rana move. We just mm-hmm. said from the top rope slams them both down and pins Eddie kind of out of nowhere to win the cruiserweight championship for the second time. It's an absolutely, we keep saying explosive, but that's what it is. It's, it's an ex- explosive pop from the crowd an explosive end of the match yeah. and just really, really satisfying finish to just an unbelievable match. Plus Tony Schiavone's enthusiasm on the three count mm-hmm. was, was pretty awesome. Yeah. Plus at the end of the match, Eddie attacks Ray to get, just to get his heat back. Yeah. That way, in like wrestling terms and like wrestling mindset, neither one of them are hurt by this finish at all. Yeah. Because Ray gets the belt, keeps his mask. He's still the underdog babyface, yeah. and Eddie is still like the shit eating heel. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he lost, he still yeah. kind of did a bad guy thing. Yeah. I liked both. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, um, but these, I remember I texted Jeff yesterday, and I was like, these matches. So. I assume we're going to start the before, Hogan versus Warrior Well, match. before we get into that, um, I wanted to ask Jeff a couple questions. So, A, Jeff, when was the first time you saw this match? And then also, I remember about a month ago, you said you showed Katie the match and she loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the first time I saw it. I remember growing up, I was more of a WWF guy. Yeah. Um, my, my house was a WWF family. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the first time I saw it was probably around when Eddie and Ray, was it Oh five or Oh six when they had their SummerSlam feud? Oh, the Dominic Dom- stuff? Oh, Dominic. Oh five. Yeah. 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 Oh five. So, uh, for anyone unaware, these guys wrestled many, many, many mm-hmm. times yeah. together throughout WCW and WWE um and they had a really silly setup of a match in 05 you should go check it out WWE network it's 9.99 yeah mm-hmm. uh you're a shill but, you're a corporate shill I, I am I hope WWE network sponsors this podcast yeah, I would so. gladly be a shill for WWE but I think I watched it around that time I think my brother had a vhs copy or maybe a dvd or something he had he he had it somewhere Mm -hmm. and he showed it to me and like i obviously knew who these guys were but it was the first time i had seen that match and i was just like holy crap these guys have been amazing for years Mm -hmm. yeah yeah oh yeah and then you showed katie that match this is a great match to show somebody who maybe not in like not super into wrestling or like somebody mm-hmm. who maybe want to like show something from like like fun wrestling yeah. or like good like really cool like here's the a cool, cool here's, a cool aspect yeah. of wrestling here's the cool way it can be an art form yeah. like so right so i know you see all the silly storylines and the ridiculous yelling promos and stuff like that and you just see it as like a, a soap opera for dudes but like here's some really cool things it has to offer yeah. Yeah. and so i know yeah i know you yeah you texted us probably about a month or two ago saying you showed it to katie and she really liked it yeah she uh, several times throughout the match she would I always know she's really invested in something I'm interested in when she's like, oh, damn. Oh, damn. (laughs) She said that several times throughout the match. That's a good feeling. And Katie used to watch wrestling with us. Um, Like when the four of us all lived together and you guys have, you know, on and off when you guys have, since you guys have lived in Decatur and stuff like that. Uh, But Kate, I almost said, why did I almost say Casey? Katie, Casey, Casey. <laughs> um, Katie, Katie has has watched wrestling with us and likes it, but it's it's one of those things where it's just still cool to show people. Even Jeremy, like Jeremy, who was on last week, yeah. we've we used to watch wrestling with him, or he used to watch it with us, and it's so cool just to show people, even though people we know who like it, yeah. who enjoy it. Um, because they watched it with us and like, yeah. we're really enthusiastic and telling them kind of how it works and what's cool about it. It's still cool to show them stuff and kind of see it through their eyes. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. I'm going to segue into the next bout we're going to talk trick. about. trick. And that, yeah, exactly. Flaming bag of dog shit, man. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. There's no, there are no good superlatives for this match. I remember texting Jeff last night. 
I was like, I was like, these matches are polar opposites because on one hand, pretty much everything about them are because with Ray and Eddie, it's very, there's very little buildup, but you do have kind of the stakes are higher in the Eddie and Ray match. If you know anything about Lucha Libre, kind of how we just went into the importance of a mask for a Lucha wrestler. It's fluid, it's entertaining, it's athletic, it's well put, it's well paced, it's well put together. Um, the two guys have great chemistry. They told a good story in the ring. Whereas Hogan and Warrior, as we'll talk about, was a huge storyline buildup, like for two months, and just sh- completely shit the bed. It was wonky and erratic and horribly timed. It was slow. It was so many botches, convoluted. It was just a disaster. I had uh, probably a page or two of notes for Ray and Eddie. Um, well, like I've watched it three times. I've enjoyed every minute, every single time. And I, I today I watched the second time I watched it. I would pause it all throughout it just to take notes of stuff I thought about. Uh, the only thing I have for Warrior Hogan '98 is this match is shit. That's it. A, f- a flaming bag of dog shit. It really is. There's- this Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior were two of the heroes of wrestling during the 80s and 90s. Uh, Hogan especially. On a, on a surface level. On a surface yeah. level, yeah. For Be- wrestling for what it was Because wrestling was so character-driven. WWF especially was so about the pomp and the circumstance and these larger-than-life superhero-type characters. And absolutely secondary was the ability. Um they those characters worked during that time, and I pun not intended, um, because they were both not great workers. Hogan was a better worker. Warrior was absolutely god awful, but yeah, he was this big jacked up dude with face paint on, and he would run to the ring even though he'd be gassed right after like he'd, a he'd lot be of tired. charisma. Yeah, exactly. He was loud, but he was exciting to younger viewers and to people because that's what wrestling was. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and then as the there was a um, sea change in the mid nineties. All of a sudden now these two guys, these two nostalgia acts are in a time to where you have like the cruiserweights and you have people in the WWF, like still personality driven, but kind of more of an emphasis on some quality in the ring and blah, blah, blah. You have these good workers and then you have Hogan and warriors still trying to jockey to be main eventers. Mm-hmm. Hogan only bringing Warrior into WCW to get his win back because Warrior being at eight WrestleMania. Years ago. Yeah. At WrestleMania I was going to say, and, is, these two might be two of two of the biggest egos oh, yeah. within the world of pro wrestling. You have oh, yeah. Hogan who, I mean, gosh, he shoehorned his way into the main event of WrestleMania's even if he wasn't an active competitor yeah. in like the first six or seven WrestleMania for, for, for a long time, whether or not he was in a story, like you said, like during the buildup or he wasn't, he try he found a yeah. way to put himself in the main event. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you had warrior who, like you said, he's just, he was a guy who never cared about wrestling. Mm-mm. He was muscular and, um, Probably, I, I remember watching the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior mm-hmm. DVD um, documentary type thing uh, when it was released in like 05 or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And Bobby Heenan, I think, said that he described Warrior as some big muscle head who saw a WWF truck drive by. I was like, I could do that. Yeah. yeah and just he, try Exactly. It. Essentially. Like verbatim. Yeah. yeah. Um, He's and, in it for the money. That's it. The thing is. I can give a pass to people who, yeah, they suck, but if they're good dudes, um, you know, no disrespect to the dead. Um, that doesn't take away disrespect. From, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry that he passed away and he left his family behind, his wife and his and his daughters. Um, but calling a spade a spade, Jim Helwig or Warrior, as he changed his name to, was one of the biggest assholes who ever yeah. lived. Oh yeah, like he is such. He was such a jerk, and just because, and just because WWE were out on good terms with him when he passed away, now, now like his past transgressions are absolved, and yeah. like all they talk about was what a great influence he was People to all change, these kids. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he was the one of the biggest personalities we ever had. Mm-hmm. Like, what a legacy! He's got a award named in his honor. Like, it's like you guys forget that you were like motherfucking him just a few years later and it doesn't 
change the fact that he was an awful person. Yeah, he was not a good person. Yeah. And, you know, again, I'm sorry he, he he passed away a few years ago, and I'm glad they were on good terms, and he seemed like he was at peace, but, like, sure. it doesn't take away from the years All and the years of him. All the things he said. Yeah, and who knows if he was repentant of it either. Yeah. Uh, but just... Not not a good dude. Hogan, a little better of a person, but again, an, a diva backstage. I compare the Ultimate Warrior as a character. He's like premature ejaculation. There's a flurry <laughs> of motion, a quick flash of excitement, but before anything can really get going, he's spent. Oh, like, yeah, like, and plus his promos were nonsensical. Yeah, but the build the build to this match is some of the most ridiculous shit. And some of the silliest stuff to where you just look at it and you're like, uh, pro wrestling? I don't know. The on- only thing I can remember about the build-up to it are two things. One was he used the mon- uh, moniker or uh, acronym or whatever of One Warrior, One Warrior Nation. Nation. Yeah, yeah. Changing NWO to OWN or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also the... Um, <laughs> The scene where Hulk Hogan is looking, looking in, in a mirror, mirror <laughs> and sees Ultimate Warrior behind him. Ultimate, is, like, oh, oh. He's like, he's right there, brother. And Eric Bischoff's like, what? What do you see? I which, don't see anything. Which we, watched, we, re, we watched a video of this YouTube channel, Wrestling With Regret. Jeff, have you watched any of it? Yeah, yeah. We, we watched, he did this 14-minute video about w, our, uh, Ultimate Warrior's run <clears> in WCW. And he's like, um, something... Uh, talking about the the ultimate warrior in the mirror, he's like, it's funny that Hogan can see it and we can see it as an audience, but for somehow Eric Bischoff can't see it. Yeah, he's like, maybe Eric uh-huh. Bischoff's the the like the the guy who needs help, right? <laughs> but like, just ultimate warrior. I think him just standing there not saying anything is funnier than him is funnier than if he said something nonsensical. Just right. he had this ridiculous look on his face, and it's like they just tried to just up the ante with the suspense. To yeah. there's so much in this match that overcompensates for the limited ability that these they, two have. They're in like this this test of strength for like two minutes straight. Yeah, which is supposed Come on, Hogan. It's, it's, it's supposed to like. Imitate what they did at WrestleMania six in nineteen ninety, which um, didn't which, come off as the no, best. it doesn't. The hard <laughs> camera is on Warrior, like Warrior's thing was like you know trying to you know trying to amp himself back himself back up. He's like shaking his head so, like ah, but like he, he's below but, Hogan's but waist. All you see is his head is at Hogan's crotch, and like they're both like <laughs> they're the test of strength. You there's gifts of it out there, and yeah. he's just like shaking his head. Well, he and, his and Hogan <laughs> has this look of like agony no, on his face. No. And, like it looks fine if you get you know the profile camera shot, but the hard camera stays on it. I'm like be on profile for like a minute, and then as Warrior comes up to Hogan's chest. Yeah. Then go to hard camera. <laughs> but like it it just it re- they, they all that say they reenacted yeah, that spot. They for did. This. And this match is also 14 minutes, but it feels so much longer. Oh it is a God. slog to get through. It is so slow. I the only the like how it looked the best way I could describe it and Jeff you could probably relate is whenever Steven and I would like wrestle in our bedroom and we're so limited to what we could do because we don't want to hurt each yeah. other. Okay, occasionally, if we were in Tyler's room and his bed is right there, we could do like a back suplex, mm-hmm. or I could lift Steven up, or he could lift me up and drop for like a slam. Mm-hmm. But most, all you can do is like punchy, kicky stuff. And yeah. at that time, you don't really know how they set up matches. Like yeah. you don't know that they set up spots and call spots in the ring and plan things out. So you're just kind of running into each other in because the, you can't figure out where yeah, to take the it's match. It's really like, it's really like plotting and it's really yeah. lunky and clunky. And like, it just, there's... Huh? But you, you're about to say something. I was. I'm gonna let you finish. Babe. I was just gonna say. It, I'll let you finish, babe. <laughs> uh, it's there's one. There's one right before they set up the most infamous spot in the match. Is um, it the ref oh, bump? Yes. Yeah, well, there's there's <laughs> there's a ref bump to where Hogan, like Warrior. There's a thing in wrestling to where how they set something up is. They will have somebody will throw will dragon whip somebody and or Irish I, whip somebody. I thought and, you were vaping. Sorry. <laughs> 
No, no, it's a pen. <laughs> um, so a kind of a typical thing to set up a move is someone will Irish whip someone into the ropes, and then the person who Irish whipped them will drop to their stomach, and then uh, the person after they hit the ropes will jump over them, and the person on their stomach will come up, and either the person they Irish whipped will come up with a strike, or the person comes off their stomach and hits them with a strike. Super... So- Super big it's spot r- from the 80s. It's wrestling yeah. school 101, yeah. like doing something like that. But Warrior, Irish whips Hogan off the off the ropes. Warrior almost looks like he slips and falls to his stomach. <laughs> and then Hogan, like two steps over him. It's not smooth at all. And like so, and telegraphs him shoulder bumping the ref and then knee drops over his neck. Yeah. It's yeah. like, it's so, when I think lunky and like really awkward, that it's a it's that it's that awkward bump that Hogan does to the ref, uh, but two two of the worst spots mm-hmm. that Warrior repeated for some reason is Warrior goes up to the top turnbuckle mm-hmm. and he builds up like he's gonna do a double axe handle oh, yeah smash on Hogan mm-hmm. and when you watch it it's like his his left arm breaks away so early and yeah. he like. Like hits <laughs> yeah. Hogan's head yep. twice. Yeah, I don't know why they repeated it. So I think that's all. War- Warrior Warrior can gas out. He can he can blow himself up. He can do half ass clothes. His clotheslines are the worst. It yeah. may have worked in the early '90s or whatever, but here his clotheslines are the worst, and he can do double axe handles. Well, the reason was the last couple of minutes of the match was improv. Oh because, well, yeah, yeah, but yeah, still, uh, but but. It shows he can't improv. He can't improv in the ring. Um, it's like but, Michael Scott trying to improv. Uh, <laughs> but the the most infamous spot in the match is there's this. It's it's been used in territory wrestling territory days and it's been executed a few times. Yeah. well in the Back WWE. Back in the eighties. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and essentially, what it is is you create this fake fireball. And it's supposed to like it's a real fireball. People can summon real fireballs. Okay. At least back in the eighties, they could. Okay, in the territories. That when wrestling was good and real. When When wrestling wrestling was real. real. (laughs) (laughs) Newsflash has never been real. I think we said that on our pro wrestling episode with Jeff. It's been it's been quote unquote fixed since the twenties. Yeah, it's Um, been a work since the twenties. Or else matches would go on for hours. Yeah, Um, which they did. The only real. The only real wrestling match was Abe Lincoln and a bear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we didn't have TV cameras back then. Yeah, um, so we don't even know if it actually happened. Fake news. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, um, so essentially, what you do is you have this flash paper, and then you put like lighter fluid on it, and it's supposed to create this controlled fireball. Yeah, it's been used. It, it was used on uh, Hogan at King of the Ring '93. There was supposed mm-hmm. to be like this Japanese photographer who like he created yeah. like a flash fireball into yeah. his face in Yokozuna pendum for the WWF championship. Um, well, Hogan wanted to do that spot on Warrior as a heel tactic. Let me because like Ho- Hogan is a bad guy during this time. Yeah. Um, so wait, but also he- he's because because bad guy being a bad guy was cool back then. So right. I don't know. But dynamics were weird back within, then. Within within the uh, um within the realm of within the nature of being a heel, uh, he wanted to, you know, essentially blind warrior and pen him and get a dirty win over him to get his quote unquote win back from WrestleMania six. Mm-hmm. So essentially what happens is, um, the camera, it's supposed to catch him with the flash paper. So it's not like, it's not like that was a faux pas on him setting up the spot. The issue is he's fumbling around with it mm-hmm. and he can't get it to light is the thing. So what happens is Warrior's walking up to him, and all the while, Hogan's dicking around with this stuff. Yeah. And what happens is he he throws paper at Warrior, not lit, and then he instantly, after he does that, he lights it up in his face, and then, like, he singes his eye... He singes his mustache and his eyebrows. So Hogan... It's like a cartoon. Hogan... Misses where he's like, he can't light up the paper he's supposed to throw at Warrior, so he does that. And then a second later, he lights the fireball off in his face. And it's not like you know, fireball has to go to the hospital, it's just like this flash, yeah. But it lights well, up, it goes off in his face. And then, like, he's like, like that's the spot you're supposed to blind Warrior, and then he's supposed to, you know, leg drop and go home and blah blah blah. But he that messed up. Well, the reason it looks so stupid too is not only did he botch it, but you know, Warrior has to react like he yeah. just got hit with something yeah. big. And that's the kind of shitty thing about botches and wrestling is that, like, 
you still have to perform and you still the show still has to keep going. So even if someone misses you on a drop kick, you yeah. know, in that particular part in the match, mm-hmm. you have to respond like you just got hit by that drop kick, right. you know? So it's a similar situation there. Warrior looks like an idiot because he's responding to this nothing. Yeah. And then also in the match, like, the the giant or as UWWE fans know him the big show oh, like you comes WWE out WWE fans yeah out there. like like the big show when he was in WCW comes out and like Vincent Stevie Ray all the all the do nothing members of NWO try to interrupt the match but they get taken out by Warrior but after Hogan botches that um, they have to like do a new finish. So that's where the axe handles come in. But again, Warrior isn't good at thinking on his feet in the ring. So he does these shitty double axe handles. And then like twice, four, twice, yeah. twice, because he can't think of anything else. And then like Hulk Hogan's real life nephew, but also yeah. kayfabe nephew, Horace Hogan yeah. comes out with a chair. And like the week before Hogan, like took him out and like, betrayed mm-hmm. him or whatever so it looks like oh horse hogan's coming out to like help the warrior but he comes in and hits warrior with a chair after the ref's distracted by eric bischoff and and then hogan pins warrior but then horace hogan starts spraying lighter fluid on ultimate yeah. warrior so within the realm of the story they're gonna they're gonna set him on fire God, hey, ever it since makes that up makes. for the botch. So yeah, it's, it sort of yeah, it makes people kind of forget about that, but with even more shit. Like it's just a convoluted way to try and save the story, and it just does not work. Yep. I only watched this match once Same. to prep for this show uh, or this episode. Um, <laughs> was this for the title? No, that's no. nothing. Okay. Yeah. The okay. Ne- oh, I, I the, couldn't remember. Yeah. The next match was Goldberg versus DDP for the world title. When the which, show, that's right. Which the show them this Warrior Hogan debacle made them go over time on pay per view. That's right. So they had to redo the match for free on Nitro well, the next you, night. Well, what happened? Or they had to show what the people yeah, missed. Cause, yeah. Because the main event. This wasn't the main event. The thing about it is WCW would stack their cards so much to get because they employed so many freaking people that Mm -hmm. never went out on tv so they're like okay well we have to do something with all these people so prince iakea was crucial to the success of wcw okay uh but (laughs) they would they would stack these cards so like with like a lot of nonsense Mm -hmm. it just was this just dense like blob of nothing like nonsense there's mm-hmm. little little to no quality on their pay-per-views um but this definitely didn't help it because this wasn't the main event the main event was diamond dallas pagans goldberg for the wcw world championship right like two minutes in after the bell rings the match goes off the air because they went over time with the pay-per-view provider so they had to the audience saw the match but the people at home didn't see the match, so they had to show it on free TV on Nitro the next night. So they lost, WCW lost a lot of money because they had to Golly. refund a lot of people's purchases. So it just was a huge, huge debacle, and this crappy match didn't help at all. Mm-mm. So two <laughs> thumbs down. Two thumbs down. A really, really terrible match. But not a terrible show because Jeff was here for his fifth mm-hmm. time. Jeff, any any words about your your fifth time and your experience on the show? Yeah, I'm I'm not the first five timer, but I'll be the first ten timer. Okay, you're, you're maybe in the, you're in the top three. Yep. This we also listeners we've been conceptualizing this idea for a wrestling podcast with Jeff. So it's nice to do wrestling episodes because we have a chance to stretch those muscles mm-hmm. and we have a chance to uh, kind of see what it would feel like to, to do that podcast. Yeah. So this is kind Listeners, of listeners. I'm, I'm not on a podcast regularly anymore. Please show your love and support to the Radcast wrestling episodes and let us know if you want a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. Please, please yeah. let us know. Drop in our DMS. Yeah. Yeah, I always, although I'm not super up to speed on, I still keep a finger on the pulse. I don't think I will ever not 
be paying attention to wrestling. I don't watch it regularly now, and I haven't for a couple years, but I still love it. I still love talking about it, mm-hmm. especially the history and stuff There's that I did to grow up with. a litany of things mm-hmm. that we You're would... missing a lot of good shit right now. Yep. There's a... Oh, I, I believe it. I believe it. Um, I just uh, re... Uh, re uh, subscribe to the WWE Network, so there's some stuff. Oh, thank I God, I, yeah. my subscription's back now too. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, that's how right. did you watch it? Uh, YouTube, they have the match on YouTube. Okay, mm. I think yeah, I think I saw that's that. That's how originally I was gonna do it, but then I was like, oh shit, maybe Jeff. I think Jeff still uses this, mm-hmm. so I just resubscribe. But yeah, so I'm resubscribed to the network. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. I'll get, I'll, I'll get, I'll get right on that, Chief. Um, but thank you, everybody for listening to week four of the Radcast, uh, Five Weeks of Fright. Jeff, like always, thank you so much for being on. It's always a good time. Mm, Ooh. I like it. Ooh, it's so warm. Yeah, but uh, thank you, everybody. Um, next week is the final week of Five Weeks of Fright, mm-hmm. and we are going to be talking about the Halloween movies throughout the first 20 years of the franchise. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned for that. But until next time, be good to yourselves, be good to each other, because why would you want to be rude? when you could be rad. We'll see you next time. This concludes our broadcast day.